0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Danny Brown with The Deal. I want to thank you for listening to the first couple episodes here. also want to introduce a new segment every week. I want to talk about what's going on in my life, uh, what's going on in deals in my life. Obviously, deals are what I do every day and putting deals together and every client looks for a deal. So part of that is you know what's happening with other people, the deal with what's happening in their life, which is what we do uh, throughout the interviews. But I want to talk a little bit about each, each episode about... The deal and how it how it deals I'm working on, so to speak. So this week, something really really unbelievable has happened in one of my deals, and I'm not naming names, I'm not going to name addresses and no numbers. But so we have this deal, we're in escrow, incredible house, you know, newer house, we think it's a, you know a slam dunk, get a great great cash buyer, and we get into escrow, and you know we've had these heavy rains over the last couple months ago, and um, you know, there was a little bit of signs of leakage under balconies. So it ends up that through extensive, extensive uh, in- inspections and digging, it's uh, the balconies need tons of work and they need to be rebuilt, re- reissued. There's mold, there's dry rot, there's this, there's that. Um Whatever, A huge repair thing. Now, that's not a common thing. There's always something with every house. But having all the balconies in a house needing to be redone and rebuilt on a house that looks almost new and that, you know, until a couple of months ago, there wasn't any rain. And so clients had no idea they had any issues. So that's one part of the story that there's this, this massive repair. So the other side of the story is during while we're finding out and un, while we're peeling the onion and figuring out all these issues related with the moisture the buyer uh is having his own issues first his mother passes away and we're like oh man that's dropping a bomb On this deal that, that could be the end of it Next thing we hear A couple days later Or a week later He's got pneumonia Like oh man This guy he's having... Then we're doing We're in the middle Of a huge negotiation Six figures negotiation Over the repairs And this and that And it's getting complicated And we find out That he goes dark We can't get a hold of him What happened His agent can't get a hold of him She doesn't know All she knows Is that he had a procedure He just emailed me At five in the morning That I, you know, I had a procedure I had to get something done And it goes dark we didn't hear from him. Well, he did pop up three days later and we're still working on the deal and we'll see how it goes. But that's the deal for this, this episode and I'll catch you next time. Uh. Hey guys, it's Danny Brown with The Deal. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you following and listening. Also, all the video content of our podcasts are on YouTube, so you can always check us out there, The Deal with Danny Brown. Uh, That would always be be awesome if you can follow us there or check out the video. This week, I am so excited to have... Brian B. on the podcast. Brian is the largest avocado farmer in the U.S. His farms were devastated by the California fires, what he's done to bounce back from that. Also, his incredible legacy in L.A., his family's legacy, the American dream. Grandparents were immigrants and came here and built an oil business, and real estate business. Just truly a immense. He's now the REC president, the real estate and construction division of the Jewish Federation. Um, just an all around fantastic guy one of my close friends so I hope you enjoy it thanks for tuning in I just want to introduce you and say
1: hello. Thank you. Thanks Thank. for having me. So I want to share a small story, which I told your team when you were out. Oh. But I was just that? at our kids' school. So Danny and I have known each other for uh five years, six years? Uh,
0: our kids are eight, our yeah, oldest are eight. About so two. Six six plus years. Six plus years. Our <laughs> disclaimer, our kids go to school together. Yeah, best, friends, best friends, inseparable. So, so, so that's
1: how we so I saw your Met son in the other. hallway and I, he said what are you doing here? And I said actually I'm going to uh, your dad's office to do his nice. podcast. And he goes that is so cool. Will you say something about me? So I want a little <laughs> shout out to Henry Brown over there. Shout out
0: to uh, And then I got a shout I, out to George. I saw George too. And to he gave to me a Nez. nice fist bump. So speaking of so our kids go to Sinai. Oh, I should say at Jack, Jack
1: too. So they're all, they all say get I, mentioned shout here. Shout out to
0: Jack. So Sinai, <laughs> Kiba, Higher Institution of Learning and of course Powerhouse Sports School.
1: Powerhouse. Well, now now maybe that, maybe that the Brown the kids are there. Now that
0: the Brown kids, now that Georgie is there, we have a shot to uh, In compete the Jewish for lakes. the conference. Yeah, what league are we? Are, <laughs> we, the, the, uh, are we the yeshiva uh, conference? The conservative
1: enough. Uh, <laughs> or it's Jewish. like the Religious
0: West Association. <laughs> <laughs> With Georgie, we have some hope to bringing Sinai to glory. Oh, I uh, love it. But I don't know. We'll see the how that goes. um are back. Um, anyway, great to see you. Wanted to kind of start from the beginning. Why don't you kind of get into where you grew up, um, where you grew up, how you grew up, where you went to school, and then how you got into the career of real estate, and then specifically from there, how you jumped into the niche of ag farming.
1: Yeah, which is a pretty pretty unusual path, but uh, I grew up here probably about a mile from where we sit now. Uh, went to El Rodale for nine years. Yeah, and ended my up wife on- went to Elrodale. Yeah, yeah, sure. We, uh, I've known her family for a long time, and uh, after that I went to Harvard Westlake, then I went back to school in New York, and when I was studying, I was actually an English major. In now, college,
0: you went to school in New York? Yeah, yeah. NYU or Columbia? I was at Columbia. Yeah.
1: I was English major, love writing, and uh, you know, at that time, I was really interested in kind of pursuing a career as a writer. But uh, a Screenwriter, book writer, what type of writing? Uh, I've always been interested in, in book writing. Actually, I wrote a book uh, while I was in college on my grandparents' history.
0: Oh, that's And it was kind of a fascinating
1: venture. And I'm kind of exploring the idea of uh, getting back and and writing again. Well,
0: that is fascinating because that's one of the things I wanted to get into. I know your family has an incredibly long legacy in LA and history in LA. I'm talking turn of the century LA, old world LA with dirt roads. Um, So that is something I wanted to get into. And this is a good segue. segue.
1: So, you know, my family's pretty interesting. They have very different backgrounds on both sides. Uh, My dad's side, has been here for I think my son is sixth generation Angelino, Six which is pretty rare, especially for you know the Jewish community. There's not yeah. a lot of us, but um, let's see. It was my great 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 grandfather, I think, who was a uh, rabbi over in Boyle Heights. Get out of here!
0: Yeah, so and this is, is this eight, late 1800s or early 1900s? Yeah, probably
1: uh, mid yeah, so 1800s. Yeah, so East LA,
0: Boyle Heights. For those of you that don't know it. it, it now that B-Real took it over. Before Cypress Hill was in East L.A. It was like yeah. a, very Jewish it was a very Jewish community, uh, yeah, with exactly. temples, and this and that. Now it's B-Real and Cypress Hill changed took a little took bit. over.
1: But uh, yes, yeah, so that's on my, my dad's side. And my mom's side, uh, my mom is actually an immigrant to this country. She came to Romania in 1958. Uh, her parents were Holocaust survivors. They were stuck behind the Iron Curtain in communist Romania. So and your mom
0: was – Born in yeah Romanian? she's born in romania i didn't know along that. with my aunt judy i assumed she was born here
1: yeah so they, they came as immigrants to speak a word of english That's didn't so know anybody. i would have never figured i mean they are so not yeah they yeah. don't come
0: off as immigrants for one second no accents but it's funny there's, you know there's I, no I, sign of it on the outside i'll
1: tell you yeah you know they they, they um they've assimilated obviously a lot of a little bit you know but my grandparents my grandmother's still around and she just uh you know, it's really such a great storyteller and shares so much about the old country and has such an appreciation for this country, and you know how lucky we are here. But I grew up over my grandparents' Shabbat dinner table, always hearing the stories uh, of their parents and their you know experiences in Auschwitz and their experience under communism. And one of the things I had a great opportunity to do was when I was uh, in college, I, I spent a summer interviewing my grandparents, and I took that summer of interviewing and turned into a family book.
0: That's amazing.
1: And obviously, just the stories, the values, um, the lessons I learned from them were so valuable. But the thing that really helped me in my career is I got to spend so much time with my grandfather.
0: And this is on
1: dad's or mom's This side? is my mom's father. Mom's side. And he was a, a legend in the gas station business. It right. was a very, very cutthroat competitive industry. You know, he was going against some of the largest major uh, oil companies in the world. And, you know, as a small independent, yet was competing with them and actually beating them. So
0: how did he get into the, the oil business in Los Angeles? Is this is turn of the
1: century or just mid? So, no, no, no. So he came, they came in 1958, so 1959. 19, was he in that business in Romania? Probably not. No, you know, he came to this country. He didn't speak a word of English. And my mom tells me these stories. They sat around the dinner table. So he comes here, total immigrant, not speaking a word
0: of English, of probably word. has no money to his name, has no clue, Nothing. doesn't know anybody. She has two up young
1: children. He had with to two feed. young children. And he comes, shows up. It's Los Angeles is where he ends up. And he said, You know, I'm not going to get into a fancy business where I have to go market or sell. I want something that's a commodity that everybody needs that is always going to be in demand. And he says, I can't compete with, you know, in fancy marketing or, you know, that kind of creative approach, but I can compete on price. And he really was one of the first people to discount gasoline and be the low-price competitor.
0: So he opened retail gas stations.
1: He opened retail gas stations. And he always found a way to be a few cents below all his competitors. Got it. And he was cutthroat. I mean, you know, he didn't have gas stations in his credit card. Sorry, he didn't have credit cards in his gas stations. Um, He really, you know, minimized, you know, the number of staff that were available at each gas station. But he did everything to keep costs really low and to keep volume high. So because costs were low, a lot of people were coming to the station, and he made up for uh, what he was losing in the margins with a lot of volume. So what was his first station? And where was it? So he had a station on the corner of Artesia. Artesian Bellflower. Wow, so southeast
0: LA. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this he, is he, and this
1: is in the fifties. You're saying this is 1961. Or 61. Okay. So he found this. Trying stru- to
0: picture what that looked like in the sixties. There's not much there. You know, it's, it's these was an industrial there. No, was, no.
1: There was there was there was a lot of residential, but the there was right. this corner that was underutilized, and he felt like it'd be a great space for a gas station. And he sat on the corner, and for a couple days, he counted every single oh, car God, that came to the corner. He did
0: research counting which turned cars.
1: left, which turned right, and you know. He didn't have a lot of sophistication, but he had a lot of hustle. Yeah. And he went to the okay. owner and said, I want to buy your station. There was
0: already a station there.
1: Uh, no, he's sorry. I want to buy your site. Got it. So, And the owner said to him, forgive me for asking this, but you're an immigrant, you don't know this business, you wanna get into one of the most competitive businesses in the world, why do you think you're gonna be successful? They're trying to talk him out of it. I'm trying to talk him out of it, he said, I shouldn't do this, it's against my best interest. Yeah,
0: you're stupid, don't get into that And business. my grandfather said, <laughs> I've
1: heard, you yeah, hear so many success stories started that way. But he made up for it in hustle. Yeah. you know. So again, him, him spending hours there just counting cars, um, they built the station, and him and my grandfather, my mom and my aunt really oh, worked so all your, the jobs.
0: So his, his parents were involved as well?
1: His my, my my this is my grandfather. My grandfather, yeah. his wife, my mom, and my aunt were kind of working the station. So my mom and aunt would sweep. They would they work as a the the family Lube, business. Family and business. How did
0: he rub the nickels together to buy his first piece of property? I think
1: Just, he had a couple uh, partners, uh, other the, other uh, immigrants from uh Someone had a few
0: bucks enough to get yeah, in, and I think f- they
1: they were able to smuggle a couple bucks out. And then he worked for a couple years, yep. and you know he also got a loan. And he goes to to meet with the uh, the lender, and they have this you know hour long meeting. And at the end, the lender says, "I'm sorry, I can't give you a loan. Right. I don't understand a word you just said." <laughs> and my grandfather looked at him, and he goes, "He goes, I have to apologize. I don't understand a word you just said." He goes, "I find your accent very strong." And the guy started laughing, but. You know, the lender kind of looked around the house and saw that my grandmother was so meticulous in terms of how she paid bills, and right. just knew that this family really wanted it. And he took a flyer on them. Yeah. So they had this first that station. Paid off. Yeah, and had this first station, and they struggled. You know, the first guy they hired to run the station with them uh, turned out to be an alcoholic and was oh, great. going to the bathroom during breaks and getting drunk on vodka. Yeah. And my grandfather fired him. And my drinking grandmother the was dr- drinking the profits. Drinking the profits. <laughs> but my grandmother was terrified. She said, "You know, Ted, so what was are we going to do with this guy?"
0: startup. All your eggs are in one basket situation. All your all eggs in, in one in, basket.
1: How are we going to make this work? The whole family's working there, hustling, and you know, it's something a lesson I've learned in business, and I try to pass on to my son and others. But when you don't have an option to fail, it's a good you motivation. Know, the only the only path forward, you figure it out, and they have a bunch of obstacles. You know, they fired this guy who's running the station. They had a lot of difficulties along the way, but they just worked and they worked and they worked. They actually worked so hard that my grandfather uh, one day. Working seven days a week, working 14, 15, 16 hours got it. a day. that's all day, every uh, driving, day. Driving home to see his family after a long day of work, and he fell asleep at the wheel of his car and flipped the car. Oh, man. And my family actually ended up moving survived down. survive that? Survived that, yeah. But Thank my God. family moved to Downey to be a little closer to the station. Got it. And uh, so your
0: family was in Downey?
1: Down, down at Downey in Downey. And you know, so,
0: how many years did it take for them to feel like, okay, now we got a real business and it's not just scrambling to survive?
1: You know, it's and hard start when you, to expand when, from there. I assume when you get chased out of your home in the middle of the night by the Nazis, when you get arrested by the communists, you know, you have this constant fear because for you know sure. how bad things can get. How could you not? And my grandfather, he passed away. I think he was 95. Wow. I think until the day he died, he still had that fear, uh, you know, it was never enough for him. Uh, you know, he's a wonderfully generous man and he loved so deeply, but I think he was always really afraid. And he always felt like I need to do more. I need to do more. I need to do more because he wanted to protect all of us. Yeah. And I think that's what really drove him and what made him so successful.
0: Yeah. So how many years did it take him to really start scaling this business from one one shop on Artesia? One, to one
1: became two and then three? And I think that took a, you know a good four or five years. And then you know then there were some acquisitions and some mergers and some other other big deals. He was always a real visionary.
0: Yeah. Sounds like um,
1: it. But what I think is so relevant to our conversation is when I was interviewing him, I said, Grandpa, how did you have the foresight to get into the gas station business? Yeah. And he started laughing. He says, I was never really in the gas station business. He goes, I was in the real estate business. He goes, I wanted to buy some of the best corners in yeah, LA.
0: Like McDonald's is in the real estate business. Yeah.
1: He says, but you know, you can't just go buy real estate and sit on land forever because you need, because you some need cash income. flow. Yeah. So I need to find a business that I could put on top of it that had good cash flow. And what he did, which was so. Uh, I want to say brilliant in his self. You know, he never went to college, didn't get to graduate to high school no. because of the, of of the work. The best school. <laughs> he had this idea. He said, if I have all this volume and I can get longer supply contracts from my suppliers, I can have all this extent, the credit extended to me. So when a normal gas gasoline supplier would maybe may be extending $100,000 worth of gasoline, his volume might be a million dollars. And because he would work these extended terms, instead of 30 days to pay, he would have 60 or even 90 days. He would have all this float, and he used that float from them, all this credit that he yeah. would have provided him, all that cash that was in his bank account to go out and buy new stations, and, and the business just kept growing and growing, and growing and rolling it into it. And he always had, he always had a vision, always had a vision. He said, um, you know, some point these gas stations are going to become strip centers. At some point, they're going to become office buildings, uh, triple net fast food restaurants. Okay. So he had the vision of
0: down the road, this is going to evolve into other. Types of real estate producing income, and
1: and then he bought didn't it.
0: take him long. Then, well, maybe it did to get from Downey to Westside. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, uh, he was everywhere the there. Yeah, no, he took. Okay. What was it's, the name of the business?
1: It, uh, Thrifty Oil. Thrifty Oil. Yeah,
0: and was that the retail name throughout? Yeah, its yeah. tenure. You know, they
1: had a lot of leases with uh, Does other, that still other suppliers. Exist? Is
0: there or did that? Well, get they have merged the station, or so they have, uh, they,
1: have uh, they have they have contracts with different suppliers. And they'll put the other suppliers' names on the gas station. So you might see uh, ARCO or you might see uh, BP or still, you might say, yeah.
0: So some of those are branded with other suppliers yeah. that y- yeah. your grandfather initially
1: name. started. So that
0: business is still functioning.
1: Yeah. So, But you know, the other visionary thing he did is uh, he at some point decided he wanted to control his own supply. So he decided to buy a refinery. And, uh, Does
0: that mean drilling or is that refining? So what happens you is you get a
1: drill in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. There is drilling in Texas, wherever it is, yeah. and, and it everywhere. comes into the refinery, and then they're, they're refining it, taking Got the crude oil so and that's turning it to – the second a, step, so to speak. Yeah. And then from there, they would take it directly to their stations. To the and that allowed him to cut out a lot of the intermediaries. The
0: middleman. yeah.
1: But uh, I think more important than my grandfather, who always really deeply believed in the land, he, uh, he really, really, really felt that – this refinery, long term, was not going to be a refinery, but was going to be something else. And, and over time, he shut down the refinery and turned it into big industrial development, Got it. which is really now in the heart of L.A. And, and now, now it's
0: exploding. I mean, industrial, oh, that asset it's been class been great, now great business in this cycle is really, and the has really had momentum and velocity with all the creative office and just the, the industrial and the, the Amazon effect with everyone needing – industrial storage and et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. yeah I'll so get, really I'll give, and I'll give them. a lot of credit to my dad and uncles. Um, my grandfather always was a visionary about acquiring land, but they really looked at this piece of land and they looked at a lot of different concepts, but ultimately they were a step ahead of the curve. This was the 1990s. And yeah. they thought that best in class industrial was going to have a place to stay in urban infill. And Got they built things with hot, bigger ce- ceiling and clears. ceilings and, and open yeah, you know, and concrete floors. Bigger and, truck, uh, loading docks and, and really state-of-the-art kind of construction. So. so
0: that's one side of the family, mm-hmm. oil business. And then there's your dad's side of the business. They were also real estate people or so, what was there? When did they yeah, get to LA? Yeah, what?
1: there was um, you know, obviously different branches from there. But one of my uh, family relatives, uh, this is actually kind of a great story, His uh, his brother – was gonna be sent to America. They were living in Poland. Yeah. And they had no money and the pogroms were hitting, meaning there was right. a lot of anti Semitism in Europe.
0: They had to leave that to get out of I there and that happened with my family too from
1: and, Poland. Yeah, they saved the family saved all their money and bought a single boat ticket for this Joe, my great grandfather's older brother. One and ticket one ticket, that's all they could afford. In steerage. And they went to the the, the 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 dock and they said to my great grandfather's brother, Good luck you're going to America, you know, you'll figure it out. Yeah, And he was terrified. He was 16 years old. And wow. he says, I can't do it. <laughs> and he refused to get on that boat. And the boat was loading. And they had this ticket, their life savings in this ticket. And they turned to my great-grandfather, who's, I think, 14 years old, if even that. And they pinned the ticket to him and said, good luck. And they shipped him to America. And it was him. They and he got went the- on his own. Not a word of English. I don't think Nothing. he had a dollar in his pocket. I don't even know if he knew anybody here. But, you know, I think he came to this new land and, and he hustled.
0: Showed up at Ellis Island and scrambled and figured it scrambled, out. Scrambled, yeah.
1: Scrambled. So, what,
0: what a concept yeah. to think about that. So, he actually,
1: um, so I, I know I said my, my great great grandfather was a rabbi in Boyle Heights. Yeah. Um, that's my dad's dad's dad. This is my dad's mom's dad. Got it. And uh, so then so he's here. He's works and he ends up working in the mines. I think he was in the Midwest somewhere, I think in Minnesota. And, you know, we have some very vague records. And, you know, a guy's 14, 15 years old. Got it. Scrambling to make it work. And um, back then it was tough to get citizenship, but if you pledged and joined the US Army, they'd give you citizenship. Got it. So in World War I, he signed uh, him up. Signed up <laughs> to join the military, and he gets a round, tr- uh, round trip uh, train ticket over to LA where he's going to be stationed to, to guard the Pacific, uh, Pacific borders. And at the end of the war, they gave him his citizenship, they gave him his return ticket, and they said, good luck. And he sold that return ticket. Took the couple bucks that he had instead, and yeah. uses to start investing in real estate. Wow! He started bu- uh, renting these old hotels that were downtown. You know, renting the rooms on a, on a monthly basis, and then he would sublet them out on kind of a, a daily a basis. work. Before he was a WeWork before WeWork. He was Airbnb before Airbnb. Oh, he holy was, crap! Are you serious? And uh, you know, of course, started making money, and that cash flow allowed him to start buying buildings. And an interesting story: Olympic Boulevard. Um, there was a big talk that for the 1932 Olympics, they were going to expand the Olympic and condemn a lot of buildings. And a lot of owners were expecting that to happen imminently. Yeah. And uh, they emptied their buildings. And he said, well, if your buildings are empty, can I uh, sublet them? So he started and he, and he made instead of taking a couple of years. I think it took uh, many, many years. I think some of them were never even condemned, and he made a fortune in that time. So, wow! So I kind of had real estate in my blood from both sides. Sounds like it. A lot yeah. of real estate. That's unbelievable history. It's a great business, the real estate business. I mean, you know, we learn a lot of lessons, you know, growing up with fam- our families. But you know, my family's always been a big believer in the value of land. You know, a lot of these uh, adages are. Cliche, almost to a point, but mm-hmm. you know they always said location, location, location. That cliche couldn't be more true. You know they say don't sell. Them. You know my my, my grandfather has told hold me hold forever, hold things, buy great land and sit on it, yeah. right? Uh, stretch and try to buy quality. I mean these are kind of lessons I that love were really important. Don't over-lever yourself. I think uh, that's a really important lesson yeah, because you can
0: ride out the, the bad you can ride times. Ride out the bad
1: times, and they were big believers in cash flow. That you know even mm-hmm. though having great piece of land. Uh, can be challenge, uh can be wonderful long term. If you don't have the cash flow, it's hard to write out those times.
0: Sure, sure. So but a lot of land doesn't cash flow. And I so. can get
1: back into the, the, my whole progression, but ultimately, one of the reasons I chose to get into farmland is I felt that if I were buying land outside of LA, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half from LA, um, I thought long term that would have a lot of value, especially if this was something I wanted to give to my kids and grandkids. Yeah. The question is, how would I cash flow and How would I make it yeah, work in you the meantime? Get raw
0: land to cash flow,
1: and it turns out that not only is there this great land play, but there's a great cash flow play yeah. too. And ultimately, it's been a great business. So you got into real estate right away, then out of school, or? What? So yeah, I was doing I was doing the writing thing. I was working a nonprofit. I actually had a uh, microfinance institution in the Middle East that we were uh, giving loans to uh, joint groups of. Uh, Jewish and Arab women in the Middle East. Oh, interesting. And I had a uh, Palestinian partner and I had an Israeli partner. And it was really fascinating uh, and very uh, fulfilling journey. But of course, it's hard to pay the bills. And at a certain point, I decided, uh, you know, I wanted to do something to to make some money and kind of build a future. And real estate was, you know, a logical place for me to go.
0: Yeah, makes sense. You got into what was apartments, multifamily? Is that kind of where you really cut your teeth? Yeah,
1: well, I I started, I worked on Wall Street in real estate finance, spent some time there. And after that, I came here. I worked for a wonderful firm, George Smith Partners. Yep, I worked for Michael Hackman for a while. Steve
0: Bram, is that George Smith? Yeah, Fabulous Steve, guy. Steve
1: is fantastic. I just actually talked to him uh, last night. Uh, he's been a mentor and a friend. And
0: Love him. Wonderful Love guy. Him. Total mensch. Um,
1: actually should been, get him on the podcast. Should get him on the podcast. <laughs> um, but then, uh, you know, after that, I decided to get off on my own. And it was 2008. And I thought it was a wonderful oh, time to start. Uh, Getting the business. And everybody says that because deals are really or cheap. Or, two, or late 2008 after Lehman's. It was after Lehman. I, oh, so I it was I, after. I uh, went on my own. It started I think pr- it was October crashing. 2008. Uh, yeah. November. Lehman fell in October. I think yeah, I left yeah, in That was the beginning of
0: the, going off the, the ledge.
1: So I'm on my own in, in, in that time. And these deals were just phenomenal. But nobody wanted to put money into deals. and okay, I remember Everyone the, was
0: frightened. It's so funny looking back now. I remember. Terrified. I was, uh, you know, I started in. 2002 so i was six seven years in the business already getting some traction but still people people were so frightened and i it was my first recession as a real estate broker and i didn't have the confidence or the know-how or the experience to really know how to navigate it i know i tried to uh, i tried to build a fund and met with some people but I, i ultimately they passed yeah. and I was, didn't have the confidence or know how to push through it and, and keep going until I make it happen. Yeah,
1: everyone I, was frightened. I had the same experience. And you then know? when I came out of
0: it, you know, by 2012, 31, I was like, what, what a, what an opportunity I, I miss. I'm not going to miss it this time.
1: I, I, had, I had a very similar experience. I, uh, you know, thought it would be a great time. And I went out to raise some money. I actually had a buddy who showed me a uh, condo. He was living in the building. And this condo had just been foreclosed on. It had a $400,000 note on the condo. Yeah. And I was able to pick it up from the bank for $200,000. I was able to finance uh, 80%. So, you know, it's uh, $160,000. Financing $40,000 down. I said, oh, that can't be that hard to raise $40,000. And no joke, I went to 100 people and had 100 notes. Yeah. Everyone was terrified. I, Lehman was going down. The world yeah. was coming to an end. The, the, fall, the sky was falling. No one
0: wanted to put people money People didn't
1: have cash or they were afraid they wouldn't have cash yeah. or they were afraid that there would be better opportunities. That's, it
0: was very hard to get to people that would be confident enough to take the risk.
1: So I remember I was like the day before escrow closed, two days before escrow closed, and um, I didn't have the money. And I said, am I going to do this or not? And I realized that if I missed on this opportunity, I would miss this whole cycle yeah because you know you can always make an excuse for why something doesn't happen and yeah, i thought about course. my grandfather i thought about my grandfather who every you know major point in his life where he could have turned back or he could have lost or he could have fallen away for something he just said i got to make this thing succeed yeah and he doubled down and i said it's time for me to double down and i didn't have a lot of cash at the time um and i remember i, I called my credit card company up and i said how much uh is available on my my credit line so you got $20,000. I said, can you double that? Said, well, okay. I said, 40000 perfect. I said, what's the, uh, the rate of my credit card? He said, well, it's 9.9%. Wonderful. I said, well, can you do something about that? Well, sir, we have this actually balance transfer deal where we can offer you balance transfer for uh, 4.9%. I said, can you do a little better? We can give you 3.9%. <laughs> so I borrowed my $40,000 down payment at 3.9%. I had, I think, my lender, who was Citibank, gave me 27 years to pay back. And, uh, yeah, that was my down payment, and that was how I got in the game. So that I bought a three-bedroom deal. condo in uh, Tarzana. Tarzana, nice. Got it fixed up, put in, I think. Uh, Beautiful Tarzana. Yeah, linoleum or vinyl, vinyl hardwood flooring. Uh, fixed up the kitchen a little bit, and if we, we cleaned, cleaned it, it up. Yeah, and you a, leased it. Yeah, I got a nice return on it. It wasn't a home run by any means. Yeah, but you're in the game. I remember I was like so excited. I got my first check, you know, and then by the time I paid the mortgage and everything, I had like twenty three bucks left right. over, and I'm like, okay, great. You know, I can buy myself you're a positive. sandwich.
0: You're in the black,
1: <laughs> and uh, I was really feeling good about this. Yeah. And then, like after two months, like there was a major the air conditioning system went out. And I'd spent like four thousand dollars to replace it, and I was like, oh, this is this is a tough business because. uh. You know, you, you know, the cash flow is minimal at first, and there's always these expenses that pop up. But sure. I felt like long-term, this is something I could do again and again and again. It was so, repeatable, and you so could scale up, it. Uh, next to the OI, I tied up an eight-unit in Hollywood. So you went big. You went from Tarzan yeah. condo I, to I went from one unit to eight units, and I went jump. from $200,000 to a million dollars. Yeah. And so this time, instead of a, a $40,000 check, I had a $400,000 check yeah. to write. And I yeah. know I need to raise the money, and I called those 100 people. And they said, well, what's your experience? And I said, look, I've done it now. I've kind of proven it out. And I think I can show you a good deal. I think I can get you 8% of your money. Yeah. And um, a lot of the reception that time around. I think 94 people said no. But uh, six yeses. (laughs) Just keep calling. I said, I'm going to keep calling until I raise the money. Yeah. And uh, you got it done. Got it done, you know, end up, you know, which is always a very important lesson for me is you underpromise and overdeliver.
0: deliver For sure.
1: And you know, sure. I, I, I knew that I thought I could do better than this, but I didn't want to tell people I could do more. Yeah, 100%. It was also you know, hard. You know, people, you know, they look at these deals and say, well, in three years, we're going to flip it and we're going to make all this money. And I didn't know where the market was going. But I knew that if we held this deal for long-term, I could give the investors cash flow. And I said, as long as you're happy with this 8% cash flow, that's what I'll promise you. Yeah. I can't promise you anything more. And a lot of people were looking for 20 percent returns. Right, these you guys were promise. happy with eight percent. Yeah, and that deal turned out to be a thirty percent return. Fantastic. That's luck. That Fantastic. wasn't me. That was.
0: That was. Well, right. The timing is a big part of every investment, of course. But you, you, like you said, you did it smartly. You got good financing. You got some upside. And, and, and I will tell remodel,
1: you that at the closing table and those six investors, you know, we're going to put in the money, but they were, we were still a bit short and they wanted to see some real money for me. And I didn't have a lot of money. I was starting my own business and you know, I was used to be going from salary to no longer having a salary and yeah. I went to the seller and I said, I'm a little short, I need help. So I says, well, I'm not a bank. Go talk yeah. to your bank. And I said, banks are all shut down now. Yeah. I said, if you so lend me money, he- you pick the interest rate and he ended up charging me 18%. I borrowed, I think like $30,000 from him. Wow. But that allowed me to have some real skin in the game and get invested in the deal. And I know that eighteen percent really, really hurt. Yeah. But I was a deep, deep, deep believer in what I was doing, and I always had my eye on the prize, right? Yeah. Which was, if you want to build, you got to get through each obstacle in front of you. Everybody's so busy trying to climb mountains that they forget to you know, kind of conquer the hill right in front. Right. And, and for me, steps. I just knew one small step, step a time. one after another. Well, it worked out for you. Yeah, so that became eight unit, became a thirty unit, and the thirty unit became a fifty-four into- unit, and then a sixty-four unit, and you know, I mean, I probably did two hundred fifty million in a two-year stretch, three-year stretch, and it was just wow, because each deal was a little bit bigger, and that an investor who put twenty thousand in the first deal put two hundred thousand in the next deal, and Everyone you know, kept as I built that track record, people were happy. More yeah, good for you. That's I never, very I never impressive. tried to hit home runs, and, and then I think when the market started taking off around two thousand twelve. I definitely stepped back a little early, but I was also saw how quickly things could turn in both directions. Yeah, and I knew that my success up to that point was because I'd been really, really lucky. Just like I was lucky going up, I could get unlucky coming, coming down. Coming down, right? And I decided that I was going to be very, very conservative. And I looked at a lot of deals starting in twenty twelve, but I don't think I bought another apartment deal for for years after that. Got it. Because I Are kinda, you
0: still holding these units?
1: Or some you're holding, some you're not? I sold most of that stuff uh, 2016, got 2017, so long ago. 2015. I mean, you know, we got a good four or five years on that stuff. Well, and that's great timing, sort of peaking. Also, Although I it's I gone know, a little I know track record continued I to go. But. I, I I was a kid that a lot of people invested in and had a lot of faith in, and I wanted to do right by that. Yeah. And I told a lot of these guys I would get them, you know, these these returns 12, 13, 14, 15%. And when I took a look at this and saw how much they'd appreciate it, I said, you know, if I can lock in a profit and make my investors happy, take the money off the table. So we took some money off the table. And and it's funny, my grandfather kind of said, oh, never sell. Why would you sell? But, you know, for me, it wasn't about the money. It was about the track record, it was about the reputation. You figure I have my whole life to do this. Let and I felt like, you know what, if I, I make these guys right. happy, yeah, they're, they're going to come back and they're going to want more. And, you know, people so my these door all investors,
0: the time. were they people you knew, family, friends,
1: uh, people you knew personally or some total strangers, investors? You know, I have to tell you, the, the, the biggest coup for me where I found the most deals, where I found the most investors, where I found the most… Relationships, even friendships, has been through my charity work. Well, wow. so I actually think you and I met for the first time. You were doing a Jewish Federation real yeah, estate program,
0: probably through an REC yeah, you know, the YLDI, the Young Leadership Development Institute. That's a group of
1: just like yeah. young
0: real estate guys, not so young, but it was a, it was a real estate leadership philanthropy group, and it was mm-hmm. a lot. Of, it was very interesting. We all went to Israel and. Uh, a lot of us still do business together and
1: network together. So I'll tell together. you, a lot of those deals that I found came through through those networks, through uh-huh. the Jewish Federation, through the American Jewish University. Yeah. And a lot of these investors were people I sat on charity boards with and volunteered a lot with. And a lot of people say to me, well, how do you have these great relationships? And I said, you know what? You just got to constantly give back. And I never joined a board thinking I'd build these great relationships. I never volunteered because I thought I'd have sure. investors. But I always did good work. And a lot of these investors knew me from the charity work. So they said, "You know what, Brian, you I saw how you work on this board, I seen, you know, what kind of person you are." And they looked a lot of characters and values. Yeah, that's and, nice. To and know. I have a lot of people who come to me and say, "Look, my deal is, you know, promising these great returns. Why does no one want to invest?" And I said, "Because you're trying to sell the deal, not yourself."
0: Yeah, it's really bad. People
1: invest in you; they don't invest in the deal. That's a good point.
0: Well, speaking of nonprofit, I know that's been a big part of your life. Yeah. You've recently become the president of the REC <laughs> at the Jewish Federation. Yeah, it's like the I, real got, estate I got suckered into a big job. They hauled you in. They they. Uh, Reeled you in. They did. So the Jewish Federation, for those that don't know, uh, I think most of our listeners or some of them will obviously know or be involved. But it's a – you explain it. It's a huge – it's like a fund of funds for philanthropy of Jewish philanthropy. I'll I'll tell you. And The real estate division is a lot of people in the – they also have an entertainment division, a legal division. But the real estate division has always been sort of – the driving uh, factor, huge force behind it, the, the Jewish Federation in L.A. But why don't you get yeah, into there, that? There's two the-
1: reasons I got involved, and I think this is really, um, really, really important for me. Um, I talked about my grandfather who came here right um, in the late 50s, and his very first job before he started this gas station, he came with nothing. And the Jew- Jewish Federation said, you're one of ours. We're going to take care of you. So they We're gonna took help care of that he didn't have the ability to write a big donation. He didn't have anything. He just had a big, big need. And they said, we're gonna help you. And I'll never forget how generous they were to my grandfather.
0: Yeah, well, that's huge. And, so I didn't realize that's a great story. I mean, and so you I'll have tell you, a very uh, real life emotional
1: connection. connection to the Federation. The Federation uh, didn't realize that that act of kindness that they did my gran- grandfather built a lifetime of loyalty, not only with him, but his entire family. Sure. But it, it leads me to my next lesson because I was studying at UCLA, getting my uh, MBA at Anderson, and I had this professor, a guy who you know well. I think, kind uh, of, Ken Cahan. Yeah, of course. Um, Ken was Kahan. my neighbor
0: and still is my oh, that's neighbor. That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah, There's he's another right there. guy I need to get on the podcast. Yeah, he's, he's great. doing incredible I love things. Ken. California
0: landmark is sort of leading the way with multifamily he's and modern multifamily, and they're doing incredible
1: work. Ken, uh, Ken. Uh, was my professor at UCLA, and I, I heard him, you know, I was sitting in the back of the class, and there were 60 students, and I come up to him after, which is something I advise all young people, is, you know, go up and talk to somebody. Don't just sit there. I said to him, I said, I've been so inspired by what you're doing. I'd love to pick your brain. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I buy you lunch? Yeah. And Ken started laughing and said, actually, I know your family. I've had a long relationship with your uncle, and I know your, your grandparents were friends with my parents, but he said, I would love to sit down with you. And I said, Ken, I'm graduating from business school. I want to become, I want to get involved in real estate. What can I do? And he said, you have to promise me that when I tell you something, you're going to, you're going to do it. And he goes, you're going to push back and you're going to argue, but I'm telling you long-term it's going to be good for you. And he picked up the phone and he called someone from the Jewish Federation and he said, Brian wants to join the real estate and construction division cabinet. I said, "Great, Ken, that's wonderful. What does that entail?" He says, "You're going to make a thousand-dollar donation every year, plus give a you know three hundred fifty-dollar programming fee." I said, "Oh man, thirteen hundred bucks! Like, yeah, yeah, it's a big,
0: it's a big hit. It was a big hit
1: for a kid who was you know twenty-six and you know wasn't making a lot of dough." And Ken said, "Brian, trust me, every dollar you give is going to come back a hundredfold." And he goes, "You don't do it because of that. You do it because it's the right thing to do." But he goes, "Long term, I guarantee you're going to get so much out of it." And I'll tell you, I've, I've I've probably done twenty deals because of that group, serious? that that, uh, that network. Yeah, and I made some of my best friends, and I've gotten so much personally out of it. Yeah.
0: yeah, I have too. I've done a good amount of deals. When I if I really think about it, yeah, I've probably done a half dozen to a dozen with with people in that group too. And wonderful people, and it's relationships that I continue to have, and people I continue to go to uh, for mentoring, yeah. and financing, and et cetera, et cetera.
1: You know, I, I ask myself often, why is it? You know, guys like Ken or Ken Kan are so charitable. Rodney Freeman, who I know, is someone you're meeting after this, um, is yeah. another guy who's a mentor of mine who used to be involved there. Um, these guys are so philanthropic and so giving. They really yet are. Yet they're so successful. Yeah. And a lot of people say, oh, well, they are successful. I, they're, they're so philanthropic because they made so much money. And when you talk to them, they'll say, so much of my success came from the <laughs> philanthropy. And I, I say, why is it? And I think what happens is you attract like-minded people? Yeah, that makes that sense. That you go to certain groups, and everyone in that room is just thinking me, 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 me. But then you go to something like the Jewish Federation, or the Moriah Society at the AJU, or so many of these other great right. philanthropic causes, and the people there are constantly thinking, how can I help others? And when you're a community of like-minded people with good values, track everybody wins. Like attracts right? like. And them. I have to more than anything give thanks to the Kens and the Rodneys of the world, guys who took me under their arm. There's so many others who you know I couldn't even. Begin to go on and name all. Yeah, they're all also legendary real estate legendary. And they asked nothing for me. All they said is just pay it for it. So, of course, you know, when they said, hey, you have an opportunity to do the same thing we did is is chair this division. I said, wow, I can help the next person, the next Brian Burkett who's 26 or just getting out of college or someone who's an immigrant who's trying to get started and I can help that person with their career. I mean, I think that's 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 really important. It makes me feel good about what yeah. I'm doing. So you're
0: now the president
1: of the REC. Good so chair, what's yeah. next? Are
0: you sponsoring. Am I the
1: uh, annual sponsor this year? Yeah. What? By the way, I got the form right here for you. To, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, sure. uh, Wire instructions are attached. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I actually we're working on some really big revamp of the division. Good. Uh, no disrespect to well, let the me way know things know were ru- how, in how the I past. can help. I
0: obviously would love to be more involved, especially.
1: Yeah. Well, we're uh, gonna we have a with you. Um, we have a planning dinner in a couple days where a couple couple folks and I are sitting down and talking, but we're really rethinking what this division can, can be. And I it think It could I'm, be
0: so much more. It's been phenomenal, but it could be so much more. There's so much energy and passion, right. and so many smart people and good people. So, yeah, so happy I want to help I share anyway, something I can. that a
1: lot of the viewers, all the viewers probably don't know except for you, for, for Jessica and Tina and you and me. Um, our sons are starting a business together. I think this week it's a uh, comic business, and I don't want to say too much because I don't want someone to steal their idea. Yeah, but, I think this is their,
0: the like, trade market?
1: This is their ninth or 10th business concept. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're entrepreneurs, Henry entrepreneurs. and uh, And I think that I know Do you're the get same Do we get
0: any way. shares in any of those uh, I think, yeah, couple, we should We should yeah. have dad
1: shares. Exactly. Like Isn't yeah. it the whole thing? Like if you're a university and a professor develops some, yeah. you know, uh, think thing tank. That, yeah. Your think tank. The university gets part of the We the are revenue. funding
0: the operation. We are like funding. in our household. Yeah,
1: Room and board. We should at least charge a rent. So I think, you know, you and I, I, I see you at all these things. There's something every night of the week. There's yeah. a philanthropic dinner. There's a real estate networking event. And sometimes, you know, you put your kid to bed and say, Hey, I'm sorry. I can't be here tonight. I'm going to be out. And your kid just knows that you're always out of the house. And I started thinking, how do I show my son what I'm doing? Not just, you know, Hey, daddy's gone, but bring him along. So yeah. how do we have opportunities for engagement for Henry and for, for yeah. George? Oriented and Jack, kid right? oriented events. So we're talking about service days. Where, you know, we can roll up our sleeves and get the kids yeah. involved. Uh, Shabbat dinners where people can bring their family and they can, you know, bring, the kids bring too these different parts of their life together. So, you know, cool. we really want to rethink what this division is. Family oriented. We want to t- think about how we make a really lasting impact.
0: Beach cleanup. That's big for us. Beach cleanup is a big one. We both surf together. Uh, it's a my, huge one for me. My surfing partner and oh, Richie. Yeah.
1: It's been a while, though. we got to get you like, back out I'm there. I am back.
0: My neck is feeling good. I'm <sighs> back. It's so a back Mexico this week. I heard. Ooh, it's a little cold, but I have booties. Yeah. I will. Look at this guy.
1: The excuses, There's man. A lot I think we got to get excuses. you in the water. I am the Nothing wuss better. of
0: wuss. I hate cold water. You say
1: that every time, and every that's time good. after we end up surfing, you it's said I'm so time. glad I got yeah, out there.
0: Every time, you're right. It's like mind Monday. blowing. Monday, a lot go. All right, I'm in. I'm in. So I want to get to you as Brian Brickett, the farmer. The farmer. Um, I've spent some time on your farm, those pueblos. <laughs> so you have this incredible farm. We've camped out there, but that's not you know necessarily your core business, but. Let's get into the avocado business. Yeah. Here we are. Were, were you the, or are you the largest producer of avocados yeah. in California? Is
1: that yeah? The, the, uh, the, uh, is that an accurate yeah, description? Yeah, United States. Which is um,
0: how many farms does that
1: entail? Gosh, we have. 10 11 farms all huh?
0: california
1: or? uh we actually have a farm down in brazil my partner uh, before yeah, i was gonna ask
0: about that he and i got
1: together he uh, i remember
0: you were spending a lot of time there doing research and meeting yeah. with people
1: my well, partner's always been a real visionary he's a fourth generation avocado farmer. jamie jamie
0: right so he came from jamie john farming, farming 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 and you came from many generations of real estate and you came together to partner and now there's 10 plus farms Avocados only, or there? Is well, yeah, there a,
1: we have some a decent sized citrus portfolio. We have some other crops, but you know, really, avocados is what we're big believers in. I love the avocado. I can't even tell you how many avocados
0: my household consumes in a week.
1: Yeah, nonstop. Uh,
0: Georgie loves the
1: avocados. Well, so so for me, you know, going back, you know, I had this idea that I wanted to buy land in the Pacific Grove with income, and I just kind of intuitively thought farming made a lot of sense. And when I started looking at farm values, said, wow, this stuff is cheap. It seems so cheap when you started it felt cheap, right? telling
0: me about it and explaining. I mean, it's all relative and I you know, I'm not looking at farmland usually, but when you started telling me the massive amounts of land and we're talking beautiful coastal
1: Yeah, I mean Santa just,
0: Barbara A century. lot of
1: stuff can never really be built on, or if so, there's so many obstacles to development. So it doesn't really trade for attractive prices because yes, you can't develop farm business it. is not a big business. Yeah. But I will tell you that, you know, we I felt like if I can get some cash flow on it one day jack would be thinking hey you picked up 100 acres for a million five you know who knows what that's gonna be yeah. worth it's like the guy who buy the parking lot you know in beverly hills and he paid you know fifty yeah. thousand dollars right the, finance it in the five thousand
0: and, and it's worth fifty million and yeah, yeah. we hear these stories over and, and over. And i
1: just felt like i need the that five thousand
0: dollar beach lots that my grandfather passed on yeah. in malibu <sighs> what the hell is anyone gonna do no one's I mean, coming out today, to
1: malibu it's a, it's a great business <clears> and you should you know i always felt like you should buy as much as you can it's just you know can you have make the numbers work and I started playing around with this concept and uh and were
0: these farms that you acquired were they uh up and running farms were they mom and pop generational family owned situations? what yeah I'll I'll tell
1: you about the whole genesis so Jamie and I you know I get introduced to him and we sit down for dinner and I tell him this idea and Jamie said you know I've always felt really the same way and Jamie grew up. His his grandfather is one of the most phenomenal people. I know. They
0: were cal- a California LA family too,
1: and they were down to Orange County. They Orange bought County. five thousand acres down in nineteen sixty three, and they paid uh, six thousand dollars an acre. Oof. And what's an acre now that, uh, down there? Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, this is the heart of Orange County. It's like Forest, El Toro. His <sighs> great grandfather and grandfather were real visionaries. Yeah, and so this Jamie's is like Irvine Company area. This is yeah, but Irvine Company same thing. There was a, a, a ranch. I know, and. You know, Jamie always grew up with the same values I did, which is land only goes up long term if you can be patient and you have the cash flow. Yeah. And when Jamie and I sat down for this dinner, we thought it'd be a forty-five minute quick, quick, right. you know, nice to meet, meet you, and greet. And it ended up being a, a four-hour dinner. I hate to admit it, but there were more than one or two beers consumed. I can't believe that Jamie doesn't like no, cocktails. No, no. The two of us, uh, <laughs> we we get in a little trouble sometimes, but yeah. uh, we we, I, we quickly realized, I know. you know. I've we're, been on.
0: I've been at Dos Pueblos. I've experienced yeah, we, we've got a few cocktails, ourselves. a little wine, <laughs> barbecues, steak, barbecue steaks ooh, with no ooh, utensils, ooh. That's and a, a, a lot, lot of red very wine. Manly, yeah, very manly.
1: <laughs> Just right off Coyotes, the ground. Coyotes.
0: I don't know what else was out there. Was
1: a lot of wildlife <laughs> out there, but we survived. But uh, Jamie uh, and I are two weeks apart in terms of when we were born, and yeah. you know we had the, these grandfathers that we really idolized, and we shared a lot of the same values and. You know, Jamie was really good at stuff that I didn't know anything right. about, and vice versa. Met
0: each other in terms of skill sets, experience,
1: and you know, I thought, hey, I could find the deals and help finance it. And right. he said, I can run in and do the operations and market the product. And uh, you know, he was the chair of the Hass Avocado Board, which is a uh, federal was, right? oversight organization. Was his family avocado
0: farmers or different? Type? They were.
1: Yeah, yeah they got, did a so lot of citrus. Had, so but they Jamie were already- was just, you know, he was nailing it. And he was doing a great job with his business. Yeah. And, you know, him and I partnered up, and. Uh, we thought we'd buy these uh, development pieces of land, just raw land and plant it, trees on them. A completely raw land and then start the irrigation and the infrastructure. It was our and, original idea. And yeah. uh, we looked at a piece of land and it takes really seven years from the time you plant the tree until it's mature. So seven years before you see, bear any fruit on off. No, you, You'll see some fruit years but three I mean, or seven four. seven years but yeah, is really what it takes to- Until it's stabilized. Yeah. And, and if you can even get the, the trees, and it, it's a big process and it takes a lot of time and energy.
0: And you're not producing any money. You're just losing money for those seven years.
1: And then we, uh, we actually we found a 50-acre ranch uh, that was already planted out. And we looked at it and we did the math and we said, wait a second. You know, It's more expensive than just buying raw land, but the numbers kind of work. And yeah. you know, that was our first deal. we actually uh, listed it with you and, and probably would have sold it if it didn't. Oh, well, uh, this
0: is the Ohio, Ohio deal. That was burn. your first ranch? Yeah, that was the first ranch we bought. God, and
1: that's the one that you lost acres. in the fire. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, the fires were pretty devastating. Yeah. Have, how much damage did you sustain those fires? I mean, we lost at least $10 million, if not more, from Oof. fires and you know, for us, obviously, it's tough when you plant trees because we also planted a lot and put so much love and care into these trees and watch sure. them grow for years, and they just see the whole Get thing wiped out. And Seven no years or more. There's no insurance. But I'll tell you, that wasn't what troubled us. It's, it's so many of our workers lost their homes, and people just saw their lives uprooted. And, yeah or jamie actually watched a firefighter die on his ranch oh, it was one of the two guys so sorry I, uh, I
0: remember hearing that and jamie that's was so there watching sad. the
1: whole thing so you couldn't they, do the anything guy had a, a, a young child and he had his wife was pregnant with their oh, second it's tragic and, you know we think about us sure you know what sucks losing money but yeah you know, people that, had real losses families, so it's, it's it's a very public business it also teaches you which is such an important lesson and a lesson i've learned even though it's humbling and difficult is that you have so little control over everything you know, when the real estate market is going like this, you know, of course, everyone's I, a genius everybody's when it's a going genius, up. And I developers have are all you know, making money. Everyone's I up and I'll say, you know, I'm doing yeah, it, I'm doing all right. big shot. I'm killing
0: it. I'm killing it. Yeah, Look, I mean, it's not us, right? It's timing.
1: I mean, part of it is. And by the
0: way, same with the downside. Can I tell you how many good builders that did unbelievable product that lost their shirt? Because totally. there's nothing you can do. There's no buyers. There's no lenders. And those same builders, you know, killed it this last cycle. And I've seen a lot of, you know, average to. Subpar builders still kill it because the market just worked. Now, of course, the better you are, the better product you are, the smarter, you're going to maximize your, your yes. returns. But bottom line, is, like you said, it's, it's timing. And that's the, the big lesson I've, I've learned over but the I'll last But I'll tell you even, even two more decades.
1: poignantly, um, my, uh, I'm having dinner with a wonderful woman tonight named Helen Rifkin. Um, her husband was one of the par- family partners at George Smith Partners, David oh, wow. Rifkin, one of the greatest okay. guys I've ever met. He was a mensch beyond all mensches. He was one of my best friends. Him and I were partners in a couple of deals together. And David was just, like I said, one of the greatest people I've ever met. Yeah. And he was doing well in business. He was philanthropic. He had these three beautiful children, a beautiful marriage. And uh, two years ago, he got sick a very rare brain disease and three weeks later he was oh, dead god i remember hearing the story you had told me and uh you know i'm having dinner with helen tonight and, and, and puts things in perspective right puts everything in perspective and you know again with the fires and losing my my partner and one of my best friends like that that humbling nature i think is something everybody needs to be reminded of we're all gonna yeah, be gone at some point my, my grandfather passed last week and you know yes somebody was saying that you know my grandfather was a great businessman but no one was talking about his business deals. They were talking about, you know, his kindness, the way he raised his children, his grandchildren, yeah, sure. There was friendships, and, his characters. And so I think a lot about that. And that's why I think with my, my farming business, I'm proud of what we built, but I'm more proud of my relationship with Jamie. I'm proud of the way we treat our employees. I'm proud of the way uh, we treated the land. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm proud of the camaraderie that we had. And that to me was the most important thing. Jamie recently came to me, and you know he has an opportunity to take this business really to the next level. Right. Doing some stuff vertically, integrating, marketing. Um, yeah. And Jamie's really going to take that business and run with it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm taking a, a step back from that, but I'm just really proud of that partnership and that friendship. Yeah. And more than anything, it's not the deals that we did together; it's that friendship that we built. Yeah. And this was you started.
0: What was your first deal? How many years ago? It hasn't been that long.
1: Well, Jamie, I no, would see it was twenty. Fourteen. Yeah. yeah. So it's in been five, five years, years yeah. you've
0: built this. It's pretty,
1: pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. So that's interesting.
0: Now, are you now transitioning into other businesses, other real estate niches? What are you focusing on now? I know you've been in this farming. Are you still going to focus on farming? It's
1: and- funny. You know, when you when you get used to doing something a certain way, you know, closing deal after deal after deal. You know, I told you in those initial two years when I was doing multifamily, I was closing a deal a month. I mean, it's just one deal after another. And each one was bigger. And then yeah. the farming, we were just, I mean, I think we closed seven deals our first year together. Yeah. I mean, we were just, you know, and you see these deals and, and you're used to it. And I'm a deal junkie. Yeah, yeah. The adrenaline, the go. excitement of the deal, yeah. And part of myself has to part of the thing I have to keep reminding myself is just be patient. It will come when it comes. Recently, uh. David Rifkin, his his widow, and I bought a property along with an, another great guy, Omer, who was one of our partners. We bought a small apartment building together mm-hmm. over in uh, in Glasso Park. It was Got actually it. Danny. You Inside. inspired me. You and I went and visited Ron. Oh, and yes, Frogtown. Uh, Robert's uh, project out there in Frogtown. Yeah, yeah, I uh, found a project you know half a mile away from there. We had
0: charcoal there. lemonade and yep. uh, organic tacos. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, we had That was and, uh, unbelievable. Salazar.
1: Salazar. And I was like, place. what a cool neighborhood. And I saw this little sixteen unit deal, and, and me and, and you know couple of us bought this deal just uh, how just is, ourselves. How
0: is Godin's deal? Is that all leased out now? Yeah, yeah. he's doing great there. I'm sure. Frogtown had just exploded. The mm-hmm. whole
1: mm-hmm. east side, it's glass of So, park. but I'm trying Frogtown. to be patient. When, when things those come up, it's just exploded. Yeah, those neighborhoods are, are, are super cool. Problem is, the prices have also got yeah, adjusted. Caught up.
0: It's, not, it's no longer the, the sleeper anymore, but it's phenomenal what's happened. Do you ever,
1: you ever see this Warren Buffett documentary? Uh, uh, which one? Coming. Warren, become become a, Warren I mean, yes. Buffett yeah it's phenomenal it's an HBO documentary yeah and it's one of the greatest things I've, I've watched and by the way
0: have you seen Momentum Generation speaking of documentaries North surfing. Shore surfing with <sighs> Kelly Slater's group you gotta see that too in. really yeah, I know it's unbelievable I want to
1: surf that more importantly yeah maybe, maybe we can do a. Uh, oh, you I want trip. to go to the ranch? Yeah, it's let's do it, Kelly's ranch. Yeah. Speaking of you,
0: you are a rancher. <laughs> I am a rancher. Can, can, rancher get us on? can you make a call oh, and get I have a Kelly? If you're listening, it. Kelly Slater, can you hook us yeah, up? Kelly, we Kelly, please. We got some good guys that want to come we'll, to the ranch. We'll pay
1: you in avocados. Yeah, we'll bring a lot of avocados. <laughs> but uh, this, this documentary is great. Warren Buffett has a picture of, of uh, Ted Williams, one of the greatest, greatest hitters in baseball, in baseball yeah. history.
0: Last man to hit 400. Yeah, exactly. Boston
1: Red Sox you a Red Sox fan? Boston oh, Strong. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. My brother-in-law, Keith, is a uh, huge Red Sox fan. And, but uh, Ted Williams is one of the special ones. And there is this um, thing that shows his, uh, you know, the strike zone. It yes. shows where he, he's hitting. And he right. says, you know, That's he a hits famous here. famous
0: strike zone with each ball high, low, inside, outside. his
1: average, average of each where the, where the location is. And he is. said, and he hits in a sweet spot. He's batting, you know, five 600. He's swinging here. He's, you know, 200 or 100. Yes. I love said, that. And the thing in the investing business, we're in the no call strikes business, right? So in baseball, pitcher throws one right down the middle, you don't swing, it's a strike, right? Yeah. In this business, if one goes down the middle and you don't swing, you wait for the next one, the next one, the next one. Right. And what he says is smart. you gotta say My no analogy. a lot more than you say yes. I've always you know, and Danny, this is you know, big tribute to you, but a great broker like you, right, can show a client a lot of opportunities. Yeah. And I know some people who are out there looking, but they haven't built that relationship with a broker. And I said, get that relationship with a broker and let them start showing you stuff. Because even if it's not the right one, you're educating educating yourself on the market and make offers. Yeah, you're refining Uh, your taste and what you want. You may disagree because this is a, a pain for you, but I always felt like it never hurts to put in an offer. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of times where a deal, someone wanted $10 million. And I said, hey, I can afford to pay eight. And sometimes I said, oh, you're out of your mind. No way. Yeah, And I said, this is why I can afford to pay eight. This is why I wanted eight. And I'll be there. And I waited and I, waited, I waited, waited and I've those deals. And they deals. came back to you. And I, and I always felt like you just got to look at a lot of deals and just be really, really patient. And right now, that's hard for me because I want to buy more stuff. I'd love to buy another building in Northeast LA, in Glossow yeah, Park. But in like Morocco. you said,
0: it's a tough time to buy now.
1: But they'll come. valuations are are up, but yeah, it will
0: come. Things will adjust. They are starting to adjust uh, in the upper end. So, you know. yeah,
1: the other lesson I always had was um, treat your brokers really well. It blew, blows my mind that these guys are there and said, "Hey, this broker showed me a deal, but I can go around to him and I can save yeah, a little on the commission." Makes me cringe, or I can. Obviously. And you know what? One of the things that I did best marketing piece I did was after a couple of years of doing my real estate thing. I sent a flyer out and I said, hey, this year I paid $2 million of broker's commissions. I said, (laughs) if you show me a deal and that deal is not, you know, if you don't have control of the deal but the deal is coming from you, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to make sure you get paid and I will never go around you and I'm going to focus on relationships. That's how you build
0: loyalty and that's how you get brokers bringing you deals. It's such small thinking to think, I'm going to go
1: around the brokers.
0: I don't need, I'm going to, there's no point, there's no value. If you feel the broker's provide no value well then you don't know a really good broker because once you find that you realize come on there's
1: like Look, I think everybody has multiples. this idea that you know I'm going to make my my Save my a couple chops of points, by two three percent and that's yeah. how I'm going to get rich and I think at the end of the day you get rich by building good relationships for sure when I started on my own in 2008 I was the last guy every broker called because I was a new kid on the block I'm mm-hmm. 26 or something nobody knew me and you know I was the guy who got to buy the deal after 10 other people said no everyone passed yeah and luckily it was a time there weren't a lot of buyers, but then when people started flooding the market, it went from me being the only bidder to there being 10 bidders, but guess who got the first phone call? You had Guess who when all things were equal, who the broker advocate of, of course. And to me, that was one of the best things I did, was to invest in those brokers. you to be
0: loyal to those people that are loyal to you. I mean, I've been fortunate that Most of my clients have been very loyal and I've built my business on it. And I, you know, look, I've had plenty, we all have had plenty of those times where people go around here, you get burned. That's just the nature of business, cost of doing business. But for the most part, you eliminate those distractions and you just, your radar has to be good. Hey, if you don't want to work with a broker, that's fine. I'm not going to focus on this. But it's not just your relationship with your
1: client, it's also your relationship with the other brokers. Of course. So when there's a broker on the other side of the table, that's probably the biggest thing. And they have a relationship with you, I can't tell you you how many deals I get
0: because of that, because, oh, there's 10 offers, the but you know what? so important. We've done deals. I know how you do things. I know no, what you're no. telling me straight for. Of course, relationships are huge and I know so many people that try to go direct and like, hey, I've been looking for two years and I get out there and I'm like, hey, you have no relationship. You have no chance. The only way you're getting it is if you overpay so much and then that money you thought you're saving, you've just overpaid by 10x. So anyway, i You that's know, a, Jamie, that's Jamie and I episode. in the
1: avocado space, we had this idea, we're going to go off market. We're going to find all these deals. We did the math and we said, you know, 80% of our deals came from brokers. Yeah. I mean, and it was 95 like three, three or four. Or more
0: percent of transactions on the west side are in the MLS. Maybe it's 99% if you
1: really track it. But everyone
0: wants that pocket even if they have to overpay to think they got a pocket.
1: Like, uh, okay. You know what I love to do when I have a deal? I always tell the broker, no pressure, but I said, you know, if you like this deal, there's no ethical conflict here. I would love for you to come in and be my partner. I would love for you to do this deal with yeah. me because I don't want – you know, you don't watch me make all this money, you don't make money. I want to make money when other people make money and vice versa. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can all we can all get Rise rich together. together. Yeah. It's not it's not me versus you, it's not a zero sum game. Oh, yeah,
0: I love that. That's the non greedy mentality.
1: Yeah, we we partnered with sellers before. I've gone to sellers and I said, you know, Sometimes older sellers who have pro- uh, properties that are distressed, mm-hmm. let's make a deal that if, 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 if I take this property and I achieve certain hurdles, you'll, you'll get additional a payment later. Or I can give you a piece of the deal, or you can stay in as a partner. There's it's
0: a holistic approach, and it's a 360 approach. And I think that is ultimately the best long-term way to, to
1: scale and to maintain, et cetera. There's, there's a great, uh, great quote by uh, J. Paul Getty, who says, uh, my father always told me, let the other guy make money on the deal if you have a uh, reputation for being the guy who makes all the money on the deal you won't find many deals yeah and you're right. uh I, you know for me i never really focused on how much people other people were making i was happy when they were making that i was always really focused on just making sure that i was i was okay and if, as long as i was okay right i was thrilled to see them make sure. money so i just I mean, had a
0: deal um, Common sense, you know, when you get beat up on a deal and yeah. squeezed, and everyone wants your commission, I don't want to. I don't want to bring a deal to that person anymore. No, I don't, no. I just if nobody, it works, I have too many other good clients that know my value and will pay. If, if the deal full commission, the deal and, is
1: not going to work or not work because because of, of, of a one f- yes, percent. Yeah, exactly. So I just it has had nothing to do with it. I just had a deal. I actually bought a, a with a partner a sizable multifamily deal. Um, he had an exchange, and I was helping him out. And somebody referred the deal to me, and. Um, yeah, just a buddy said, you know, I think this deal might be a fit, mm-hmm. and I sat down with him and I gave him a, uh, you know, I thought it was a nice referral fee, and he was very, very, very appreciative, and he said, you didn't have to do this, yeah, and not only did Good I feel like you. I had to do it, but I also felt like it was smart business because I felt like, you know, this guy in the future is going to want to help find me you another deal, you know, it's we're all happy, sense. and does it it's really make that sense. much of a difference for me, like? No, it's not going to move deals. the
0: needle on a deal, one percent or half percent. Yeah, it makes most. I think
1: when you're young, you know, you do that first deal, and you're so convinced that this is the only time you ever do a deal, mm-hmm. and you don't realize you're building relationships with people over 50, 60, 70 years. For sure. And if you're like your family or my family, you know, you have kids that you value. You know, you want that kid to walk proudly with that name. That Brown name means something. The Travers sure. name means something. The Burkett name means something, right? I'm hoping that my son, when he goes, does a deal with somebody, he can say, "Oh, you know, your father, and my father, used to work together."
0: Yeah, it's that it takes a lifetime to build a reputation, and it takes thirty seconds, 30 seconds. to lose it. And
1: my my yeah. grandfather who passed last week, you know, it's amazing at the the funeral and the shiva, these people are coming out of the woodwork saying, "Do you know that your grandfather, my grandfather, in nineteen, you know, oh, forty-seven stories you know, from the past?" And it's like those relationships are so important, and and part of me, look, I love 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 L.A., but part of me starts to think. Is this where I want to make my home? But mm-hmm. when I think about my grandfather, great-grandfather, the people who came before me, for you. they worked really hard to build that well, where repetition. else could
0: we go? We talk about this all the time with Jessica. Where can you surf –
1: Oh, and get I a nice know. house. I already know, man. I get, you, this so this farmland is so good. Where you get a nice piece of farmland on the coast, great in surf. California, yeah, Central yeah. Coast. Oh, I love. Yeah, I love the Central Coast. But you still we...
0: have pro, uh, state tax and all the California issues California, yeah. that you're going to be dealing with. But I guess it's much cheaper land.
1: No, that's 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 always been for me. Like I love where our ranches up in Dos Pueblos. Yeah. Goleta, Gaviota Coast. I mean, that to I mean, me it's is just God's just, country. It
0: is God's country. It's stunning up there. So. What's next? What's next adventure for you? You got any fun <laughs> trips planned? You got, any I surf got trips? a surf trip. I
1: always got fun trips. I'm taking Jack to Israel this summer. Oh, awesome. So Jack, what do you want to do this summer? He goes, I want to see where our people are from.
0: Okay, <laughs> show them your people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so doing that, uh, trying to make it down to uh, Mexico for Baja for spring break. Oh, you were mentioning break. that you, you go to surf break. I think I'm going to check it out.
0: Uh, road near Rosarita. Oh man, yeah. there's so many spots. That'd I haven't be been. Fun. God, I probably haven't surfed down there in fifteen, twenty, probably
1: twenty years or more. Some good tacos, some good surfing. Oh, you can
0: just surf all day and yeah. That's and gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah,
1: they've got a lot of trips. Going uh, to Aspen the summer doing some uh, Jewish leadership stuff and then doing uh there's this great trail out there, the five uh five peak loop. I did yeah, it last I, think I've, I did I've it last done summer. That, it's Jessica. a well this is like a it's like a four day Oh no! Like, that's not yeah, the loop yeah. we did. Big we didn't do on. it for it. We
0: do You do a lot of this I multi-day love that. camping,
1: Ooh, multi-day. Yeah, I went getting off loud. the grid, off the grid. All that's why I
0: call you the most interesting man in the world. I, I mean, love it. Out there. You're surfing in Mexico and Baja. You're walking You're so going off the ass, grid and that's, camping. I love
1: being outdoors. That's, you're
0: camping for to what. Didn't you do something where you were camping? Was it Alaska somewhere freezing? <laughs> yeah, where you yeah. were. Uh, you were telling me about. It. I was like, Why would you do that to yourself? I'll, I'll tell you this story. It was in Alaska or just
1: North Pole. I don't know what it was, but it we, sounded um, awful. It was just it was just me and my cousin. We had two of us. Yeah, the you
0: invited me to this. I'm like, Are you kidding me? I don't
1: want to. He go drops to this. us off in a seaplane, and there's this one valley that he's flown over but never explored. He says, "I don't think another human's ever set foot in this valley." And it's what, what part of the world is it? It's uh, out in Alaska. It is Alaska. Yeah, yeah. It's near Denali National Park. So <laughs> wow. we're out there. He drives up in That's. a seaplane, plane and we have no cell phones or anything. And the guy says, I'm going to pick you up five days later, you know, 100 miles down river. And he said – and we said, what <laughs> happens if you don't show it? He said, just wait. <laughs> five days later. And so we had these uh, 70-pound packs on. So you're stuffed and we're walking your through food. It's like a tundra. It's really – but we had these um, – this, is it snowing and freezing kind of thing? Uh, not snowing, but it but was freezing. pretty cold. I mean, it was summer, but it was like 40 degrees. Uh, I thought I thought you had told me something but about it. We, we get in the river. We have these um, – I forgot what they're called, but these small little inflatable rafts. And whenever the brush would get too thick that we couldn't hike, we just get in and go down these class five rapids. And uh, it got gnarly. And I think we kind of underestimated how bad it was. And at one point uh, – our guy flipped his boat oh, for Sure, Class and five, you're gonna get all our stuff, just, all his stuff just went flowing down it. the river and it was pouring rain all day. So you're soaked. Everything's soaked. Soaked. all his stuff is gone. He gets out. And it's this cold. bear comes right up to him and confronts him. A bear. He starts yelling. The bear will move away and he starts whacking to get the bear away from him. I mean what? it was gnarly out there. This is, and this is what you do for fun so yeah you know what it it, it uh <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, I, why I I didn't go. that's exactly why i have I'm no interest in checked. going
1: on any of those trips but we can at least get you surfing in the uh, uh surfing I'm 67 in. degree water yeah well, if i can get 68 <laughs> or above better but i'll go in 58 yeah no i, I love so the are we gonna
0: go to latigo then i'm in
1: yeah i'd love to do that all right we get richie come join us We'll get rich. All right. right, we'll
0: end it there. Thank awesome. you so much. I'm so fired me.
1: up that we got to spend I some time you, together You're on a Friday afternoon.
0: Ones. Love you too, brother. And uh, you know we'll we'll be in Dos Pueblos soon.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and uh, either Dos Pueblos More or a lot to go. And I think we have dinner tomorrow. So oh, uh, even better. Even better. See you at dinner man. tomorrow. I love you, man. Good to see you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Hey, I want to thank Brian for coming and joining us on the deal with Danny Brown. It was awesome spending time with him. I'm sure he's going to harass me to go surf with him in Malibu or Latigo in the next couple days. And I'm, I'm okay with that, Brian. But thanks for joining. Also want to thank you guys for following. Uh, you can always find me at Danny Brown LA on Instagram. We have some really, really cool guests coming up. James Ferrier, Pittsburgh Steeler legend. Josh LaBelle, successful hedge fund guy. Uh, Joey Miller, developer of the platform in Culver City. Ross Gerber, financial advisor of Gerber Kawasaki and always on CNBC, CNN, big TV personality. So much more. And guys, if you could, please follow me and comment uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Every comment and every like really helps a lot and really helps me amplify the show. So I appreciate everything you do. Hopefully you're, you're listening and I'm giving you some entertaining content. Talk to you soon. See
1: ya.